Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Luke chapter 5 is there in your bulletin as well. Uh, if you're um, visiting with us, welcome. So glad that you're here. What did like half of our congregation just leave? Like, um, welcome. Uh, if you're visiting with us, you're finding us in a series uh, through the Gospel of Luke. And so um, this morning we're in Luke chapter 5. Um, you know, uh, those of you who like history or love just yeah, reading various things about weird things that happen in history, I have heard of Ernest Shackleton. Um, Ernest Shackleton is an explorer who's known for um, failing good, I guess, uh, succeeding out of failure. But he was a British explorer during the time where people were trying to, to race to be the first to get to the South Pole. And having lost that race, he decided, well, all right, then I'm going to try to be the first to cross Antarctica from, from sea to sea. And he was going to walk across it, crossing the South Pole on his way. And so when it came time for him to try to recruit his crew to do this uh, expedition, he wanted to be, ex he was explicit because he wanted to be crystal clear about what all these crewmen were, were signing up for. Uh, no room for confusion. And so he took out an ad in a London newspaper that said this. He said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Uh, and, and you know what? They said that men responded in droves. They just came out of the woodwork signing up for that because the mission was clear. They knew what they were signing up for. It was, it was spelled out clearly in the message. Okay, well, I was thinking about that. I'm not so sure we can say the same about Christianity today, you know, that we all know what the mission is. It's so clear. Although Jesus was clear, you know, all sorts of things has call, have caused us as Christians to blur the message or blur the mission you know, to think that it's about building churches, and we just got to build a big church, uh, or that it's about doing social justice, all the while um, what we're really called to do gets lost in the shuffle. As one commentator said, Jesus has not called you to build his church. In fact, he says that in all the Gospels, Jesus only mentioned the church two times. One time it was about resolving conflict within the church, and the second time was to say that he... <laughs> Jesus, not, not us, would build his church. Our job, our only, only job, is to make disciples, discipleship. And Bill Hull said, God has not promised to bless our good motives, our dreams, or our innovations. He has promised to bless his plan. And that plan is that disciples make other disciples. <laughs> Everything else all the pumpkin chunkins and church league softballs, as like really cool as they are, everything other than that is a sideshow. Dallas Willard once said, non-discipleship is the elephant in the church. He said, it's not the many moral failings of Christians. It's not the financial abuses or the amazing general similarity between Christians and non-Christians. He says, these are only the effect of the underlying problem. 
You know, it, it's all about discipleship. Or, or simply put, following the Jesus way. And, and that's confusing today because, you know, in our world, being a follower is kind of seen as a negative thing, right? Like we tell all of our kids now, we, we, we say, kids, don't be a follower. We want you to be a leader, right? Like if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? And now we can say, if Sophie jumped off the balcony, would you jump off the balcony? Um, we want our, you know, we, we send our kids to school and teach them so that they can be, you know, like all, all Jude wants to do and most of our kids at Pillow Light, they long for the day which they get to be the leader of the day and they get to be in front of the line, right? Uh, we, we teach our kids to be good leaders. There are entire genre of books and classes and conferences on leadership, how to be a better leader, right? And yet I've never seen a section in a bookstore uh, or a conference on being a better follower, how to follow. Uh, now, you know, in social media, we talk about followers today. Um, how many followers do you have? But, but even then, you know, the, the point is that you need to be the leader. Like, you got to be the influencer so that you can get the followers, so that everybody can follow you. And, and yet, when Jesus, and this is so, I mean, this should be earth-shattering here. When God in the flesh came, he explicitly called his people to what? To follow. To follow him. <laughs> And like Shackleton, Jesus took out an ad, so to speak, and he was explicitly clear about what that looked like. So, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, let's look at that this morning, God's Word. Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the Word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and that's just Luke's way of calling it a sea. Because remember, we said that to a, I mean, it's like about the size of Sardis Lake. It's not a sea, it's a lake. But they called it a sea. Uh, the Hebrews did. Gentiles called it a lake. And Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter. He asked him to, to put, be put out a little from land, and Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon saw it, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is God's word. Now, let's pray before we dive in. Uh, Father, without your gospel, uh, we are, man, we are dead in the water. Uh, there's not a lot of hope. Uh, there's no hope. Um, so, Father, just as you stepped into Peter's boat and rocked his world, we ask that you through your spirit would step into our world today and draw us in and teach us what it means to follow you. And we ask this in Christ. 
Amen. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? I think we could go around and everybody have a different answer. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Uh, well, here in our passage, first thing, it means listening to Jesus. It means listening. And Jesus said, you know, in John, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, Luke begins our passage by mentioning how the crowds were starting to, to kind of press in on Jesus. They were all following, they were following Jesus. And you may ask, why was it so Jesus would bless them? Or so that Jesus would, you know, he, you know Jesus was the guy who could like pass out bread and fish, right? Would they give, you know, some handout, if, get a handout if they were with Jesus? But no. Luke tells us that this crowd was there because they longed to hear Jesus teach the Word of God. They wanted to listen to Jesus. And for people living in Galilee during this time, what that meant was them going and finding Jesus and following him to hear what he taught. They were, they were, they were there to listen. And I love the heart of Jesus that we see here in this passage. Because um, like, So in 2001 or 2002, I can't remember, uh, so the Franklin Graham Crusade came through Alabama and came to Tuscaloosa, and they set up shop at Coleman Coliseum, which is on the University of Alabama campus. And I remember standing in line for hours to go to this crusade. And I, I stood in line for hours, waited, 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 got up there almost to the door, and one of the bouncer, I guess bouncer people for the crusade, said, um, there's no more room. We're full. And I'd have to leave. And so I went home, and, and uh, yeah, I won't tell you what I did. It was just, I was just angry. Um, okay, though Jesus was getting crowded, and, and there was no room. I mean, he had every right to send people home. You know, he didn't turn anybody away. No, in fact, Jesus made room so that those who came to hear him could hear him. So like, if you want to hear from Jesus, you're going to hear from Jesus. Jesus will talk to you. Uh, and talk about a heart of compassion and love. He, talk about innovation, right? And instead of turning people away, he got in Peter's boat and they rowed him out a little from land so that everyone could see him and everyone could hear him. And he used Peter's boat as a pulpit and the Sea of Galilee as his PA system, his sound system. Um, you know, if, if you've been in town for the last couple of New Year's Eves, um, around midnight, you've probably heard, and I'm going to use uh, quotation marks here, you've probably heard fireworks, right, uh, all over Greenwood. And uh, I, I'm sorry, hearing this, I'm starting to think, like, is my neighbor trying to take me out? And we're, you know, we're ducking down, we're trying to wonder what's going on, and Annie is on a first-name basis with some of our police because she calls our police a lot. And um, she... Uh, she called the police, and the police at some point said, yeah, yeah, well, well, sound travels down the water across the river, and you don't really know where it's coming from. And, and so they said that, you know, stuff will happen in other places, and it will cross the water, and it sounds like it's in your yard. And um, sure enough, I mean, I, I, the science checks out um, 2,000 years ago, apparently Jesus knew that science. Uh, Jesus knew that, that water amplifies sound. And so he used the water as his own personal PA system. And, and so, again, back to the point. The point is that a disciple, a follower, is, is someone who seeks to hear from Jesus. And, and, and we may think that, look, this is easy for them. I mean, they have Jesus right there. Uh, but we don't. Uh, Jesus is in heaven, but we, we have the Spirit uh, which means for us to listen today and to hear from Jesus today, the only way is by 
reading his word, by studying his word, by listening to gospel-centered, biblical preaching. And so it's learning from Jesus, not, not Oprah. Uh, Jesus, not even Ben Shapiro, um, about the way, the truth, and the life. But it's not just about salvation, is it? We also sit at Jesus' feet, and by the Spirit we learn from, from His Word, not, not our world, but what Jesus says about money, or what Jesus says about how to raise kids, or about marriage, about how to treat others. Like, let's learn from Jesus, not, you know, not like Vogue, about modesty, and fear, and anxiety, and sex, and commerce, and purpose, and worry, and conflict resolution, and I mean, everything else. And so we go to Jesus and listen so that we can be fitted uh, for eternity, but as if that's not enough, we also listen so that we can be equipped to live life in, in, in the best way of flourishing now, so that we can live life now. And so we listen to and for the Jesus way, but, but it's not just listening. Following Jesus is more than that. You, you know, from the other Gospels, we learn that at this point, Peter, this isn't Peter's first time to, to see Jesus. He'd seen Jesus and kind of heard some of his teaching a little bit before, but Peter wasn't a follower yet. Um, one, one person said, many churches the way that churches operate. He said, many churches can be compared to workers trying to gather in a harvest while sitting in the farm shop. He said, this is how churches are. Every Sunday they go to the farm shop and they study bigger and better methods of agriculture. They fill up those tractors. They make sure everything's good and grease and they're ready, they, they're ready to go and then they get up and go home. And then they come back that night and they study bigger and better methods of agriculture. Fill up those tractors and then go home again. And then they come back on Wednesday night and again they study bigger and better methods of agriculture. Fill up those tractors, get up and go home. And they do this week in and week out, year in and year out. And yet nobody ever goes out into the fields to gather the harvest. And we just stay in our holy huddles and we just talk about theology. You know, remember in Revelation, when we were going through that series, uh, Jesus, uh, remember his, his warning to the church of Ephesus. Um, he said that it's very possible to learn and study and be so focused on right doctrine that we can completely miss the one to whom all that doctrine is pointing us to. Um, that we can become big head Christians. Man, we can just know it all, and yet we are just jerks. Uh, we have shriveled hearts. And unfortunately, this is something that our neck of the church has been accused of. <laughs> um, you know, like, was Jesus talking to the Ephesians, or, or was he talking to Presbyterians uh, who throughout the years have been called the frozen chosen, um, whose doctrine is strong, you know, and who, like, from birth, we're catechizing our kids and teaching them theology, and we're, oh, we're extremely careful with, like, every song that we sing, and every Sunday school class, every sermon is parsed to, to, as best as humanly possible to ensure doctrinal fidelity. And Jesus says, look, that's awesome. Love it. But please know that you can, you can do all of that and, and, just, and lose the joy of the gospel. Like you can do all that and, man, you're just playing church. You, you're just playing church. 
I think I've shared this before, but RUF campus pastors will tell you that covenant kids, kids raised in solid PCA churches, can be some of the most difficult to minister to because they think they know it all. And yet they have no, no understanding of their need of grace, no concept of their need of grace. Which kind of begs the question, instead of raising up worshipers, are we really raising up Pharisees who have big heads, cold, cold hearts? Um, Westminster, may, that, may it not be so here, please. May it not be so. <sighs> listening, which then brings us to the second mark of following Jesus. It's not just listening, but it is repentance, repentance. Repentance means to, to turn away from our sin and to turn to Jesus. You know, repentance means to return home. It means going back home to God. And we see that with Peter. You know, Peter was listening to Jesus, which says a lot because I don't know about you, but no one likes to get on-the-job advice from somebody in another line of work, right? So, we can, I mean, we can sympathize with Peter's hesitation here a little bit. Kent Hughes said that professional fishermen know that 100% of the fish are in 10% of the water. This is how fish are. And, and, and Kent Hughes said that a professional fisherman, this is what makes them a pro, is that they know where that 10% is. They can find the 10%. Well, Peter was a pro, pro fisherman. That's all he did. And, and he had spent all night trying to catch these fish, and he hadn't caught anything. And so they're tired, if you can imagine. They're, they're washing their nets, putting everything up. They're ready to go home. And yet, Jesus, after finishing his, his teaching, he looked to Peter and he said, hey, why don't, you, why don't you put your nets out over there? I mean, can you imagine what must have gone through Peter's mind? Those of you who have had to rearrange furniture for your spouse, you know we're like, you've like moved an entire bedroom to put a rug in a certain spot in that said room. And you get it all in there and then the spouse comes in and says, well, can we, what if we try over there? And you're like, are you serious? Imagine what Peter's going through his mind. You know, I mean, like, look, who is this carpenter turned rabbi to tell me where to find fish? I mean, if Jesus, look, you want to teach the Bible? Look, that's one thing. Heck, I'll even let you borrow my boat as a pulpit. But I, like, this is my domain here, telling me how to fish. And yet Jesus climbed into the boat, and he gave orders to, to, to Peter. By doing that, Jesus was invading Peter's personal space. He was coming into Peter's world. And in some ways, that happens to every single person in whom Jesus saves, right? Like, it's not just this abstract thing. It's like Jesus comes into your life, and he, he rocks your world. You know, we find that, that Jesus doesn't just want our 10 to 12 every Sunday morning. That he wants our everything. And we saw that this morning as Mike read with the prophet, the prophet Elisha. Man, he wasn't in church. Like, Elisha, he was plowing a field when the call of the Lord came to him. You know, we've mentioned C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was riding in a, a, the sidecar of a motorcycle, riding to the zoo when God called him. Uh, remember, we've mentioned Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash was drunk and trying to kill himself in a cave when God saved him. And Peter and these fishermen, they were just doing normal life. Man, they were fishing, cleaning their nets, and Jesus came to them exactly where they were and spoke in a language that they could understand and so Peter says, look, look we, already <laughs> we already tried that. We, we fished all night, and there ain't no fish out there. But though he was skeptical, Peter was willing to do what Jesus said. And 
when he put, you know, pulled the nets up, it was a catch of a lifetime. <laughs> you know, the nets were about to break. They call in another boat. They load up both boats. The boats are about to sink. And while all the fishermen are, man, they're talking about, look at all these fish. Uh, focusing on the fish, Peter had a different response. You know, and Jesus doesn't capture everyone the same way. But instead of like, can you imagine, instead of marveling at all oh, these fish, we've never seen this. Um, Peter knew it was a miracle. Like Peter knew that, that that was impossible. That there wasn't any fish out there. But he realized that he was in the presence of the one who made the fish. That he was in the presence of God in the flesh. And he was undone. And spontaneously erupted in humble repentance. Verse 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. You know, isn't that interesting? Because we've all seen the caricatures of preachers, right? For some of us, a preacher is someone who gets up in front and yells about how you need to repent, how bad you are. Uh, repent. And we all hear those sermons, and we think, okay, well, I'm just going to man up, and I'm going to repent, dead gum, and I'm going to go home and repent this afternoon. Just do it. But y'all, true repentance, as we see throughout the Bible, true repentance is always a response to the work of God. If, if true repentance happens, it's because God moves you to repent. As Paul mentions, that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. And so R.C. Sproul said, he said, notice that Jesus didn't lecture Peter about his sins. In fact, there was, there was no rebuke, no word of judgment here. All Jesus did was show Peter how to catch fish. And yet somehow in there, it was a message that Peter could not miss. All he did was catch him how to teach him how to fish, and Peter, <laughs> Peter didn't miss it, that he was in the presence of someone perfectly holy. And compared to Jesus, he was dead in the water. He was in, a sinner in need. And so, y'all, following Jesus means seeing ourselves as we really are. <laughs> Because we see Jesus more and more as he really is. And when that happens, it's so natural for us to say, look, compared to, compared to you, Jesus, I, I, j just get away. You're, you're too much. You're too much. And yet, y'all, that is exactly why Jesus came. Jesus came and Jesus died to gather us in so that we could be brought close to God. So that us who say, get away, I, I'm unworthy. For Jesus to, to gather us in and bring us close so that we would not be identified as our sins or our insecurities, but in Christ we would be identified as those who have the favor and the mercy and the grace and love of the Father. And so the response to your sin isn't, get out, you. No, the response is, come. Come and have life to the full. That's the gospel. But you know, as awesome as that is, that's not all either. As we've said many times, uh, you're listening, repenting, as we've said many times, if you have tasted the joy that is Jesus, if he has saved you, then he has also sent you. Third thing, he gives you a new purpose. You know, Jesus said, look, don't be afraid, Peter. I know you feel unworthy. But from now on, you will be catching men. And Jesus is using a wordplay here because that word literally means to catch alive. Or as, or as fishermen today would put it, catch and release. You know, you catch fish, send it back. 
And he's saying, look, all these years you've been catching fish, not so that you can release them, so that you can save them. Man, you've been catching those fish so that you can kill them and eat them. And so he's saying, but from now on, you're going to be a new kind of fisherman. A fisherman who rescues people from the deep sea of sin and brings them safely to shore. What does that mean? Well, you know, we, look, Peter was called in a very particular way as an apostle, and we see that in Pentecost, right? His sermon and the many coming in. But this call also goes to us, and this is just a reminder that, look, we're just called to just throw, just like, you know, fishing doesn't guarantee you're going to catch a fish. We just, we throw the nets out, we cast the lines out, but it's the gospel that does the catching, and Jesus who does the releasing from sins. And so Jesus, he's using language that fishermen understood, but if he was here with farmers, it would say something different. I mean, this language carries over. It may sound something like, farmers, if you are a follower of Jesus, the same care you have for planting and growing and harvesting your crop, what if instead of only farming grain or cotton, what if you, were also, what if you also began sowing gospel seeds and, and, and harvesting souls. Well, what if you were also that careful in discipling your family and others in Jesus? Business people, you know, you rep a certain product or a certain service, but now you, you rep the best product of all. Uh, youth, uh, students, you know, you study and you compete and you cheer and you do all these things for, for God's glory but your time in school is also an opportunity to point others who are really insecure to the only true source of security. Like you have an opportunity every day to show people where real joy can be found in, in Jesus Christ alone. And like, what if we were a congregation at Westminster that didn't try to do what every other church was doing? What if we were a congregation that doesn't play church? But what if we really did just like, oh, you know what? We're just going to one another, one another. And we're going to take the long view of discipleship, that, that following the Jesus way over the long haul for the rest of our lives and pointing each other to Jesus. You know, if following Jesus is the main thing and everything else is a sideshow, then are we? Then are we, are we following Jesus? You know, are we listening and are we responding in gospel repentance and are we talking about Jesus, because I don't know about you, but really, I don't know if I can stomach any more programs. I don't know if I can stomach any more committee meetings at this church that is not forming disciples. And then finally, unless we think that following Jesus is just, a, it's just something you do on Sundays. Yeah? Uh, Jesus tells us, no, this is like all of your life. What was Peter and the other fishermen's response? Verse 11 and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It reminds you of the parable about the guy who found the treasure in the field. And he was so excited about that treasure. He went, he sold everything he had so that he could get that field. That was, that was it. Um, so, something about Jesus, it changes you. It makes you excited. Not saying that you've got to leave everything, but it makes you so excited that you would if he called you to. So one summer... <laughs> One summer we took a trip to Colorado, and uh, my family of four had like 11 or like 15 bags we're trying to check onto an airplane. And it was single-handedly the most stressful trip ever, because we're sitting there in, in like the baggage line, and it's like me and like this mountain of stuff. And I'm like, 
We only needed one bag, but you can see who won that discussion, right? Um, many say we, we want to follow Jesus, but we really kind of want to follow Jesus on our terms. You know, it's the Thomas Jefferson approach. You know, we just kind of cut out the bits that we don't really like and keep the, good, the stuff we do like. Um, G.K. Chesterton said, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. And yet Jesus keeps us there. Um, you know, we want to follow Jesus, but we also kind of want to hold on to our uh, sexual ethic, you know, to our version of what, the sanctity of life, our version of whatever it is that we think of. Uh, we want to follow Jesus, but we also kind of like our comfort zones. And we kind of like our idols. They make us happy. But Jesus calls us to leave all of that behind. To, to see that we are only as secure as we are in Him. And so, what are you holding on to that you need to leave behind this week? What are you holding on to? Like, what is sweeter to you than Jesus is? What, what, what idol are you cradling in your arms? Because following Jesus is leaving behind the old and walking in a in, in the new and better way. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the call of following you. That um, May we listen and respond to that sweet gospel message in repentance. And then, Lord, heed the call to then be fishers of men to go out and just talk about Jesus, um, even here at the church, just to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then, Lord, it's, know that this is something worthy of, of our all. Um, so, Lord, um, may you define our church as a church that seeks to follow you. Um, that's it. Nothing more, nothing less. So, Lord, thank you for Jesus, uh, for the sweetness of his salvation to us. Um, we love you. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.